Hey guys, it's Emma and Shannon. And welcome back to our podcast, She's an Engineer. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the DuPont PFAS contamination. And a lot of the information we're sharing today is from the book Exposure by Robert Billot, environmental lawyer on the plaintiff side of the DuPont contamination for for many decades. He was the first one on the case and then took on many cases after that. So we'll dive into the court cases and the history behind the PFAS research and discovery that Robert found during his time extensively studying DuPont paperwork and documents and everything. So we're going to start on October 9th, 1998. And this is where the book begins, and uh, Robert, an environmental lawyer, received a call from a cattle farmer in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and the cattle farmer's name was Earl Tennant. And Earl was referred to Rob through Robert's grandmother, who is a West Virginia native, and his grandmother assured Earl that Rob could be of help with all of his issues. So on the phone, Earl shared with Rob that his cows were dying from what he believes is chemicals that were leaching from a nearby landfill owned by DuPont and poisoning his cows through a creek that they were drinking out of. Earl even shared that he dissected his cows and found tumors in them, especially in the kidney area. And he was mentioning that he contacted federal government, so the EPA and also the state DEQ, but no one was doing anything to help him. Like he had hundreds of cattle, and in the past few years, he was whittled down to just a few dozen. And even those were not healthy. And, um, any calves that were birthed from his cattle were being stillborns and it just it seemed to be a big issue he was taking care of them really well like he wasn't doing anything different he was a great farmer and he just wasn't sure why his cattle were dying he had a suspicion that dupont was like i mentioned putting something in the landfill that was leaching into the water that they were drinking out of So although Rob, he was actually a part of a defense environmental firm that would be on the defense side, like be on DuPont's side, he decided to help Earl. And a few weeks later, Earl drove to Rob's office in Cincinnati, Ohio, and had a a meeting and brought boxes of evidence. So pictures of dead animals that he had taken by the, the creek, foaming water, with a DuPont outfall next to it, VHS tapes with highlight reels of like images of the creek and the animals affected. And at this point, Rob senses something was terribly wrong and really wanted to help Earl. So also at this time, Rob was trying to become a partner at his environmental law firm and was a little bit nervous that this case, since it was like taking the completely opposite side, would prevent him from doing that. But he decided to do it anyways because he could see that Earl was in trouble. So a few months later in 1999, Rob drove down to West Virginia and had to find another lawyer in West Virginia to help him with this case since his area of diction for being a lawyer was in Ohio. He needed someone 
in the state of West Virginia to help him take on this case for legal reasons. So him and his partner drove to see the tenant's farm and meet the rest of the tenant family. While he was there, he learned not only about the contamination issues, but also about the history of DuPont and Parkersburg. So um, DuPont has their Washington Works industrial location in Parkersburg, Virginia, and it was a good source of economic stimulation. So a lot of the Parkersburg natives worked at DuPont and were very loyal to the company because they provided them with a good salary and means to live on. In the 1980s, DuPont began buying pieces of land from local families, including the tenants, to build a landfill called Dry Run Landfill. And in 1984, the landfill became operational. So during this time, um, there was a cattle team that was investigating the contamination on Earl's farm. The cattle team was employed by DuPont and also the EPA to check in on Earl's complaints <laughs> and, and issues and see if there was any sort of contamination that was affecting his cattle. In the beginning of this case, Rob was almost tricked by the defense lawyer, so he actually knew the defense lawyer very well. Uh, Larry Winters, who commonly worked with his law firm on the defense side, and Larry Winters told Rob that they, the cattle team were currently investigating DuPont and the contamination and Earl's cows, and there would be a report just in a few weeks, um, and Larry would send it to Rob immediately. So Rob kind of, you know, was waiting for the report, didn't do much research on his own, and months ended up passing by while Rob was just waiting. So finally, the cattle team finished their investigation and uh, they did not identify a single chemical release from the landfill that could be linked to the cattle's problems. And they actually said that the problems were from Earl being a poor cow owner and from all of the flies and lack of feeding and lack of um, just neglecting his cows, basically. And Rob was really frustrated because he knew something else was going on. Like, Earl loved his cows, and he was not doing anything to hurt them. Like, he did everything he could to keep them healthy, was feeding them double, if not triple, of their feed because they were getting skinny and sick, and he was, he was trying to keep them, keep them alive. In, I guess, on August 2nd, 2000, DuPont received a request from Rob to identify all of the chemicals that were dumped into dry run landfill. And the documents came to Rob on like, at this point, documents were still in the paper form. So you couldn't just have a convenient little flash drive to plug into your computer and like search all the documents, you know, control F. But he received a huge stack of documents the size of a refrigerator that were rolled into his office one day and had to start going through these one by one. So many hours later, um, a letter caught his eye about ammonium perfluorooctane, APFO. Um, it's also known as that. And it said that the EPA was asking DuPont if they used that chemical. 
And Rob was kind of curious about this. He didn't know anything about APFO, and he contacted uh, an analytic chemist who he knew to see if he knew anything more about this suspicious-sounding chemical. And the, the chemist didn't know anything about it, but he said it sounded like a substance he recently heard of, which was perfluorooctane sulfonate, or PFOS. And two months earlier, the 3M company ceased production of the chemical. And at the time, the chemical was not regulated. And another chemical of interest was a freeform acid similar to the compound perfluorooctanic acid or PFOA, P-F-O-A. And these chemicals, Rob started to look in these chemicals and um, in the letter, DuPont stated that P- the APFO was a surfactant that made things slippery and it was used in large quantities at DuPont. Rob later discovered that PFOA was used in the manufacturing of Teflon, which DuPont used to coat all of their pants to make them non-stick. And at this time, the manufacturing of Teflon was 10% of the company's annual sales. So it made up a large amount of their sales, and this was a product that DuPont was pretty pretty fond of because they discovered that using PFOA made Teflon easier to work with and easier to be able to coat pans and other items with with the Teflon. Um, As Rob was going through all the the documents given to him by DuPont, he found a couple of interesting studies on PFOA. So a 1978 study showed that PFOA was toxic to monkeys. In 1984, water testing revealed that PFOA was found in the aquifer beneath the waterworks plant. And this aquifer supplied the drinking water for the city of Parkersburg. The first recommended guideline for PFOA was set by DuPont for DuPont workers in 1988, and the limit that they set was 1 ppb, or part per billion. And one year later, in 1989, the contaminated well site uh, right above the aquifers that was pulling out the groundwater for the drinking water in Parkersburg was bought by DuPont. Another study in 1999 showed that PFOA levels in Dry Run Creek were as high as 87 parts per billion, so significantly higher than the limit set for DuPont workers at one part per billion. Rob and DuPont were kind of in a legal battle at this time. Rob was requesting for more information because he saw gaps in the data and gaps in their communication with EPA, and he was asking to take those documents, and DuPont was putting up a fight. They also were very close with the West Virginia DEQ, and it was common at this time for DuPont workers to move to the DEQ and vice versa. So they all knew each other really well, and Rob was an outsider in this, and he had a lot of difficulty getting all of the information he needed to find out if PFOA was the source of contamination and if it was causing Earl's cows to be poisoned. 
finally, Rob was getting somewhere with all of these documents and DuPont knew it and they were, they were kind of scared. And DuPont offered a settlement agreement to the tenants in 2001. And after a very long discussion with Earl, his wife, and other family members, they decided to accept it because they knew if they took their case to court, they would probably, if they won, they would probably get a lot less from what they were, what the settlement agreement offered. So that ended the tenant's case. And at this point, Rob knew a lot about the the PFOA contamination in the Parkersburg area of West Virginia. And he wanted to do something about it because he knew it was a risk to those who were drinking out of the groundwater. So he sent the EPA and DEQ a 12-pound letter summarizing all of his findings from DuPont research about PFOA. And he hoped that someone one day would be able to read through his not-so-brief summary and do something about the regulation of PFOA. After the tennis case in 2001, Lubeck, which was a city near Parkersburg, warned its citizens about PFOA found in the water. And a local of Lubeck, um, I guess a local citizen of, of Lubeck, Joe, contacted Rob. So Joe was currently living in the Lubeck area and was noticing that a lot of his neighbors and good friends were getting cancer. And he was suspicious that it was because of the PFOA and the letter the Lubeck Public Service district sent out to all of its citizens was not really conclusive. It didn't say that PFOA was hazardous or was could cause cancer, and Joe wanted to know more. So Rob looked into a class action suit to see if he could sue DuPont, um, but at this time, there was no direct link between PFOA contamination and all of these cancer cases and diseases that were showing up. So Rob actually found a loophole, a new common law tort, which was called medical monitoring, where he needed to prove that significant exposure to a proven hazardous chemical significantly increases the risk of developing a serious harm, harmful human disease for which a medical doctor would be recommended for diagnostic testing and for such testing procedures exist. So Rob thought this was an opportunity because although there was no causation between the diseases and PFOA, he thought that medical monitoring could be used to find out those links. So Rob filed the class action for all of those members in West Virginia, in Parkersburg, in Lubeck and anyone else that had levels higher than 0.5 ppb PFOA in their water. So this included areas south of the Ohio River near the DuPont Washington Works plant and also north of the Ohio River. So they were seeing levels of PFOA in water that was found north of the Ohio River. So meaning it was it was spreading. So at this time, Rob wanted to meet more of these class action citizens, and he decided to visit Little Hawking, Ohio. And this was north of the Ohio River, where recently seven PPB of PFOA was found in their drinking water. And there was a public forum held by DuPont, 
And this allowed the citizens to ask DuPont questions about if this was hazardous, what does this mean to them? And the public meeting did not give them what they were looking for. Basically, DuPont claimed that there was no evidence of adverse human effects caused by PFOA. So Rob went back to his office and started doing more research and noticed there were huge gaps in the DuPont's documents and requested for more information. At this time, there was a CAT team, C-A-T, that was working with DuPont to study PFOA and um, inform the EPA of anything they found. And they announced new safety levels, which were 150 parts per billion. Great, like a lot more than the one parts per billion that they set decades ago for their for their employees. So this was suspicious to Rob. He knew something was going on. Like they set an extremely high level of exposure when he knew before that the level was a lot lower and it seemed to be having effects um, to the DuPont employees and surrounding citizens. So Rob spent 12 hours every day looking over thousands of documents that DuPont sent him and he had to go through court and uh, request them with the judge too because DuPont was not being cooperative. So he had to get court orders for DuPont to send him more studies and the new information revealed that in 1979 there were some studies on PFOA and rats and it showed that there was liver degeneration in, in rats caused by PFOA. In 1980, DuPont also confirmed that PFOA was bioaccumulative and biopersistent. So it accumulated in your bloodstream, and also once it was in your blood, it did not break down. In 1981, 3M shared one of their studies with DuPont, which showed that PFOA caused birth defects in rats. <laughs> and after this study was shared with DuPont, they got a little bit nervous. So they did some research on some of the mothers who were working for DuPont that were exposed to PFOA. And they found that the two of the seven babies born of the women exposed to PFOA had birth defects. And DuPont pulled all of the women from their plant at that time for a short amount of time just to see, just because they were, they were being careful. Um, but they eventually let the women come back to work. In 1988, another study on PFOA and rats showed that it caused cancer in, in those rats. So Rob wanted to prove that DuPont was being more than just careless. They were aware of all of these problems that PFOA had caused, and they consciously did not do anything. So this, chair, this changed the case from just neglect of not conducting studies to consciously and not informing the public and their people about these concerns. And in 2003, Rob made the dew point studies available to the general public, and the environmental working group, the EWG, zeroed in on PFO in 2003. So different news sources started to write articles about PFOA because Rob was not getting anywhere in the court case, so he was getting frustrated. And luckily, it worked in his favor because in 2003, the EWG posted um, a series 
published a series called Pollution and People, and one of their episodes focused on PFOA, and they posted another story on their website about its toxicity to animals and also called PFOA Forever Chemicals, since they don't break down in the human body. And um, within days, the national news started to flood with information about PFOA. DuPont even asked its CEO to publicly say that PFOA was safe. And... Something interesting was the EWG started doing its own research on the Teflon pans that had PFOA um, in them. And to this point, DuPont was claiming that, you know, the Teflon was, was safe to cook with. EWG found that when pans were heated to 554 degrees, fine particles started coming off of the pan. And when they were heated to 680 degrees, toxic gases started coming off. Just for reference, um, you have to cook bacon above 500 degrees is what they found. So basically, if you're cooking bacon or anything that needs high heat, PFOA could be released into the air. At this point, DuPont had and Rob had a CEO deposition in which Rob interviewed the CEO of DuPont. And during this interview, Rob became aware that the CEO was not aware of any of the internal PFOA studies that DuPont had conducted over the past few decades. He didn't, either didn't know about them, wasn't informed about them, so he was blissfully ignorant and still claimed that there was no evidence of human health impacts. And as this case was, you know, becoming more public, the EPA finally looked into the 12-pound letter that Rob sent them and sued DuPont for a failure to report their internal research on PFOA. All of these compounding issues and, I guess, knowledge of of their mess-up caused DuPont to meet in Boston with Rob for a mediation, and they agreed on a preliminary settlement. And this preliminary settlement included clean water to the Class Act and also the opportunity to give people in the class action the answers about the risks of BFOA. So Rob and DuPont agreed on an unbiased independent science panel, and the science panel would research PFOA in, in humans and confirm and document exactly what PFOA could, could do to those drinking it. DuPont agreed to pay whatever it took for the study and the cost of the panel. And DuPont also decided, I guess, agreed to pay uh, immediately $70 million for the, the class benefit. And these payments were to be made directly to class members with at least $20 million to health and education projects. DuPont also agreed to pay for the design, procurement, and installation of drinking water treatment technologies for water sources contaminated with PFOA and the drinking water treatment plants would be only installed for locations with greater than 0.5 parts per billion of PFOA, whereas all of the class members, I guess all of the members included in the class action had to be exposed to 0.05 parts per billion. So the, the treatment plants were not installed for, for everyone in the class action. And confirmation of probable link with PFOA and disease from the science panel would trigger the creation of a medical panel of doctors to detect disease and medical monitoring to those 
exposed. And then lastly, DuPont agreed to pay for Robs and the rest of his team fees, um, all of the fees and hours that it took for them to do their research. This was to be paid separately from the amount that they were paying to the, the class action citizens. This was a little bit of a gamble, even for Rob's team, because the science panel had to prove probable cause. And Rob and his team, after this preliminary settlement was agreed upon, came up with a big idea. And they decided to use the total $70 million to pay class members to participate in a study to determine probable cause. So instead of just using $20 million of it for health and education and directly paying the $50 million of it to those affected, they decided to use all of it for health and education and pay those who would participate in their study. And this ended up being about you would get paid $400 for every visit you came into the, the office, the doctor's office to be studied. So this is a significant amount and also a great incentive for those, those affected to, um, to get tested and for the medical monitoring to be completed. Okay, so switching over to the EPA, um, in 2005 through 2006, the EPA came up with this grand plan, this grand five-year plan to eliminate PFOA from industries. But interestingly, they took no action for another decade. So they didn't ha take any action until 2016. So 10 years went by before anything was done. In 2006, the science panel that Rob and DuPont agreed upon completed their, the most successful and largest community-wide data collection program anywhere. They ended up having 69,000 participants. There was about 70 to 71,000 in the, the class act area, the class action area. So in 2005, DuPont started installing water treatment systems to lower PFOA in those areas with greater than 0.5 parts per billion found in their drinking water. But also, PFOA was showing up in other locations across the U.S. So they found PFOA in Minnesota and New Jersey, where there were no DuPont manufacturing locations anywhere nearby. In 2009, the EPA finally reduced released a provisional guideline for PFOA in drinking water, which is 0.4 parts per billion. And Rob and his team were a little disappointed by that provisional guideline because it was only 0.1 less than the guideline that had been out previously. During this time, the Obama administration said that PFOA would be the subject of a chemical action plan to outline the risks that each chemical may present and include specific steps to address those concerns. And this chemical action plan was slated to be completed by 2009, but it was never completed. More studies across the U.S. were showing that PFOA was ending up all over the place. They found it in pets and seals and polar bears and animals in even the most remote areas. John Hopkins completed a study on 300 babies, which showed that 99% of them had PFOA in their umbilical cord. A few years later, finally, in 2011, the science panel released its first probable link, and they shared that there was no association with preterm birth low birth rate, miscarriage, or birth defects with PFOA. But there was a link with preeclampsia, which was pregnancy-induced hypertension with serious implications for the mother to end up and including death. 
So although it didn't show that PFOA caused birth defects, it showed a probable cause for preeclampsia. One year later, in 2012, the science panel released their final results, and it confirmed probable links with PFOA exposure and six diseases, which included kidney cancer, testicular cancer, ulcerative colitis, thyroid disease, high cholesterol, and preeclampsia. As agreed to in the preliminary settlement, the findings of probable cause triggered the creation of the medical panel. So a few months later, the medical panel was finalized and free medical monitoring was provided to those who were drinking PFOA or where PFOA was found in their water. Although during the preliminary settlement that DuPont agreed upon, which they agreed that they would not argue against the findings of the science panel because the members of the science panel were supposed to be unbiased, but DuPont and Rob's team had to decide on the members of the science panel together. So they both agreed upon all of the scientists that were working on the panel and agreed to not question their findings. But in 2014, DuPont took it to court. They claimed that the findings were not conclusive, so DuPont took it to trial. In 2000 15, a member of the class action named Carla Bartlett was the subject of interest, and she had a cancer case that DuPont was trying to argue was not caused from PFOA. Once Rob and DuPont finished all of their arguments, the, the jury had a verdict in less than one day, and the jury found that DuPont had to pay Carla $1.6 million in compensation. So basically just confirmed to Rob that there was a link. The jury agreed on that, and, and DuPont did not give up. So there was another court case in 2016 in which David Freeman, a professor, was um, brought into court to argue his case about his, his cancer and the probable cause of PFOA. And again, the jury found that DuPont had to pay him $5.1 million in compensation charges. So in 2017, DuPont agreed to pay out $670.7 million to settle more than 3,500 pending cases, very similar to Carla and David's about their cancer in PFOA. In 2018, there was another filed class action claim against six chemical companies on behalf of the PFAS-nominated Southern District of Ohio proceedings. And that's basically where the book ends in 2018, in which Rob is pursuing these other class actions against the eight chemical companies. So that, that pretty much summarizes the book itself and the first initial court cases and research that was found on PFOA. Something to note, I think, through all of this is that Rob actually, I think, took some, like, financial burdens upon himself while doing these class action lawsuits, mm -hmm. as well as just, like, taking on the tenant case in general. Like, I think that, like, from his company, he experienced a salary decrease because the company wasn't really, like, getting paid for 
for him to do the class action lawsuit or for like at that moment for him to do the class action lawsuit or for him to pursue the tenant case like he was doing it on a pro bono basis based on like if he was if they won he was going to get paid at the end and and not like during the during the settlement or like while they were pursuing the case and so it really shows like his like empathy and his actual like genuine concern for for human life and pursuing justice i think because he like he wasn't getting financially compensated he was getting like he was actually experiencing financial strain because of this yeah so actually rob did all of his work and research for these cases on his own time like you mentioned so he was still getting paid a salary for working on other super fun cases and defense attorney cases so he was doing this on top of his normal workload and at the time he had three young kids too that he was trying to balance his family along with his work so he was very moved by earl Tennant's original case in 1998 and knew there was a problem and knew that DuPont and other big manufacturing companies were trying to cover it up. And I think that's the biggest thing was DuPont, because they had the money and the resources, they could cover up even their own internal studies on PFOA being dangerous to humans for many years. <laughs> like PFOA was discovered in the 1950s and then research in the 1970s showed a link to cancer and other diseases in animals and nothing was done about it. For, for many years later. Yeah, it's actually known that it PFOA is classified in Group 2B by the International Agency for Research on Cancer as, like, possibly carcinogenic to humans, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that, I think that leads into our coffee time discussion, if we want to transition over to that. Hey guys, so now it's coffee time. So grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, your water. I have nothing with me right now, but that's fine. Um, And join us as we discuss the current research that's been released on PFOA. Yes, I just want to start off taking a quote from DuPont's website to update you on what they are claiming about PFOA. Pont wrote on their website that polyfluoroalkaline substances, PFOAs, are a family of chemicals that include PFOA, PFOS, Gen X, and many other substances. PFOS have, has been used to make many industrial and consumer products worldwide since the 1940s and most commonly are used in surface treatment applications for paper, fabric, cookware, and carpeting. Uh, The treatment allows these products and materials to more effectively repel oil, water, and stains. PFAS includes thousands of materials with very different properties. Some PFAS, like PFOA and PFOS, are considered long-chain chemicals, and some types of PFAS, like Gen X, are considered short-chain chemicals. Long-chain chemicals tend to be more bio-persistent. For several decades, historical DuPont's performance chemicals businesses, like many other industrial manufacturers, purchased, used, and for a brief period of time manufactured PFOA 
as a processing aid in the production of floral polymers. In 2006, Historical DuPont announced its commitment to discontinue manufacture, purchase, or use PFOA and lead the EPA's PFOA Voluntary Stewardship Program and achieved this goal in 2015. So as of 2015, they I guess they, they claim not to be manufacturing or purchasing PFOA, but as mentioned in the main segment of our episode in 2018, there is another class action claim that is against other eight eight other chemical companies. So this is still a prevalent issue. I think also something important to note is that people keep pans for a long time. And Mm -hmm. so even if they weren't using it in 2015, let's say someone has a pan from 2005, that could still be coated and used like PFO is could have still be used at that time in the manufacturing of that pan and therefore expose potentially exposing that family or those who are using those materials to PFOA. So Yeah, and PFOA is also found in other materials like carpeting, clothing, and just it's basically everywhere. And since it's a forever chemical, it's pretty much there is a small amount in everyone's blood at this point. <laughs> yes. Considering that Johns Hopkins found it in 99% of, like, babies of, like, the umbilical cords, like, mm-hmm. there, there's no way that, like, the majority of us don't have PFOA in our system. The amount, though, is what's important, I think. Mm-hmm. Like... Because I think something becomes, like, more highly carcinogenic once it builds up more in your system. And luckily, like, if you don't have, like, enough, then then normally, like, it, it's not going to do much to your body. So. But that amount has been argued for many years. What is the safe limit? That is true. We still, I feel like we still don't know what the safe limit is. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like there's, like, no true safe limit of, like, any carcinogen, but... I mean, we're exposed to carcinogens all the time, right? Like on a daily basis, like not just PFOA, not saying that this is right, but I'm just saying that like, you have to keep that in mind that like, there are many things that are carcinogenic, like charcoal is like carcinogenic. There's so many things Mm -hmm. that are carcinogenic and we don't know like if there's any safe amount of like any of those substances. Yes. Something else. So this is talking about PFOA is very popular in the world of environmental engineering at this time because something else that there's no there's no like official regulation for PFOA in drinking water but something else is it's really hard to test there's only a few research um, companies that will test for PFOA and it's very expensive and it's extensive so along with doing more research on PFOA and its effects on humans we also need to create better ways to determine the amount of contaminant in in water and make it more widely available to drinking water systems across the com- across the country. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just like lead, we need a test for lead in our water. We also need a test for PFOA. It's also available in like skin ski wax and stuff. So, oh. just like keep keep that in mind as well. There there are just like so many studies out now um, that the EPA has done. I don't remember if you talked about this, but they did do studies with like rats and mice. 
And they were saying that, like, female rats have the ability to eliminate PFOA, like, within hours in comparison to male rats. This is a study that I had found before. But the gender difference is not seen in humans. So, you know, not all animal models and studies are applicable to humans. Um, Well, that's what DuPont argued for many years, that the studies found on monkeys in the initial rat studies that showed kidney disease was could not be directly correlated with effects on humans but it it is a good cause for concern that should show that you need to perform studies on humans at that point right and it's not like we're saying that you need to perform i think like the right type of study to do in this point which they kind of did with the through the class action lawsuit uh Mm -hmm. with that with the science science panel um, is a cohort study. So like looking at those who are exposed and then and then later looking at the incidences of specific diseases like within that population in comparison to that of like the the general population and those who are not exposed. Um, but how do you know if you were exposed or not, right? Like, I mean, if we're all exposed, then then don't we all have some sort of, like, pre, like, I don't know. We all have some sort of chance of, of disease from this, so. Yeah, I guess we all have some sort of pre-existing level of PFOA in our bodies, but then some, it's just a lot more than others. So maybe just noticing any noticeable, more noticeable, more common diseases and cancer rates. Right. Right. They've also suggested that there's linkages to other diseases. Like, I know we talked about testicular cancer and kidney cancer and thyroid disease, but there's also uh, suggested linkages to prostate cancer, bladder cancer, and ovarian cancer. But thus far, they haven't proven that, like, conclusive. So Mm -hmm. I guess we'll see in, like, the next few years to see if they do prove a connection to, to these other types of cancers as well. Um... But yeah, I mean, like, I think, I think maybe this is why, like, my parents are, like, more averse to using, like, nonstick pans. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something good to know, like, like, be careful of what you're buying and, you know, everyone needs to do their research on, on what you're buying, even though uh, companies may not make that information. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to do that, though. Like, if companies don't make that information public and, like, we didn't even know that PFOA, like, the public, the general public, how would they know that the, that PFOA is, like, is carcinogenic and could cause these, like, adverse effects? Yeah, and more recently with the issue of lead in the water in Flint, Michigan, it just shows that a lot of people are covering things up. A lot of big corporations are covering things up and are not informing the general public of health concerns. And that's a little bit scary. Right. Even though we all, we've known for many years that lead can, can cause like adverse effects, mm-hmm. you know, so like lead poisoning is a very real thing and it's something that we've studied for many years. So it, it's irresponsible, I think, of, of corporations to not disclose this information that could harm the health effects like even even though like yes of course like most companies like their main concern is to make money Mm -hmm. and 
produce product in like the most efficient and most effective way like they taking the not taking the health of of the general population into concern is just like negligent of them yes and something else that was interesting that the book talked about is that not everyone would at dupont was claiming that there is no risk of consuming or being exposed to PFOA. There were scientists and there were toxicologists that were warning the upper management that this could be a hazardous chemical and the upper management chose to not do anything about it. (laughs) So hopefully after this case, (laughs) other companies, other manufacturing companies will be held responsible for their negligence and also conscious neglect. Yes. On a positive note, hopefully it will help companies be better in the future. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I agree. Rob Bilot did a lot for, for the world of, I guess, corporate greed and environmental contaminations. And it's just so impressive how he worked on these cases for decades and has dedicated majority of his time to pursuing these because he wanted to let people know of the hazards and inform those affected. Yes, I agree. And if anyone is interested, the movie Dark Waters is also very good. Um, Mm -hmm. The protagonist of the movie is Rob Bilat. Like it's based on it's based on this book and the entire case. So if you want to definitely check it out, I highly recommend I think that summarizes our episode on the, I guess, DuPont environmental contamination of PFOA. And this is, it's pretty interesting because this is like an evolving case. There's so much we don't, we still don't know about PFOA and continue research needs to be conducted. So it's pretty cool <laughs> if, if you're in the field of environmental engineering or even the medical field too. I feel like this, this touches on a lot of both, like a lot of our career fields like both of our career fields oh yes I did this like I I did I included this study as like part of one of my environmental like intro to environmental health and like public health classes so it's definitely very applicable for those who are interested in medicine as well Mm -hmm. yeah okay so we will see you guys in two weeks thank you so much for listening to this potentially very long episode And thank you. Bye. Bye.